0: This is your Olympic hero and former WWE Champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Get stealing, woo, Wheel of dealing. Limousine like right. jet Flag! son of a gun. I am the best in the world at what I do. Gentlemen. You are the top 1%, the elite, best of the best. But the Queen will rise to the top all oh year. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast, brought to you by Mo Sports in Liberty, the pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groniger.
1: This is the Elite Sports Podcast. I'm Clint Schweitzer, and your money stays and plays with us all season long right here. I tell you what, it is such a pleasure to reemerge into the sports podcast world after going through a lot of ventures over the past few years. You know, we've done a lot of podcasts in the past, done video shows, things like that. But this time, it is uh, available only on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can download on iTunes or on the DoublePod app on if you're an Android user. So that is exclusively where you can get this content. Our sponsor, we got to mention them, and we will every single episode. Most sports in Liberty, Missouri, we cannot thank them enough, guys. Uh, for all Mizzou, Royal, Sporting KC, Apparel, It's at Sports in Liberty. It's 816-781-3393, 9667 North Cedar Avenue in uh, Kansas City. That's on the Kansas City side of Liberty. And we can't thank them enough for uh, being a part of this as uh, we launch into the stratosphere in 2018. And we're previewing college football, specifically the SEC and Mizzou football. We are based out of Kansas City, Missouri. This is SEC country, uh, well, for the most part anyway. So we're going to be talking with none other than Fox Sports' Tim Brandt to talk about some of the big games coming up this weekend, his thoughts on some of the, the controversial happenings in college football and some of the reasons that college football made headlines for the wrong reasons. But we're going to be getting into the games most of all, and he's going to be covering uh, and, and uh, doing the play-by-play for Nebraska and Akron. We're going to be talking to him about Scott Frost, his prospects for the Cornhuskers going forward, his thoughts on which is the best conference uh, in college football going into this year, and what he thinks uh, is his top four. Who's going to be in the top four? Who's going to be in the college football playoff come the end of the season? Tim Brando is a great friend of our shows. Really great to catch up with him to kick off this inaugural Elite Sports Podcast episode. He's been with us through so many of our other ventures in the past. And uh, not only that, but we're going to be getting specific about the Missouri Tigers. And we're going to be talking with St. Louis Post-Dispatch writer Dave Matter. He's going to be talking about his new book, 100 Things Missouri Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It comes out on September 4th. Uh, You can pre-order that. You can get it on Amazon Guys Dave Matter uh, helped uh, Gary Pinkle with uh, with his book just uh, in the last year or two. He is a uh, tremendous he, he does a great job covering the Missouri Tigers for the St. Louis Post dispatch. He's worked for the Columbia Tribune. Well respected. This book is great if you're a Missouri fan, 100 things Missouri fans should know and do before they die. Uh, profiles on you know some of the most famous names in Missouri athletics history, Norm Stewart, John Sunvold, Chase Daniel. You know, you talk about specific games, Missouri-Kansas, Armageddon at Arrowhead 07, beating the Oklahoma Sooners, number one ranked in the country in 2010, and so much more. He did a lot of interviews, put a lot into this, and it is just a great read for any Missouri fan. So We're also going to be previewing the Tigers themselves, the on-field uh, prospects for the Missouri Tigers heading in to the 2018 season as they take on the Skyhawks from Tennessee Martin, 3 o'clock on Saturday. Not a lot of X's and O's you want to get into about that game. There's a lot of more high-profile games going on, and we're going to be getting in to the nfl next week guys this podcast is going to be open for all things sports related we're going to be focusing heavily on football college football in the nfl through this fall but you never know we might uh, throw in a boxing guest a former pro wrestling star things like that you never know here on the elite sports podcast but you know for us it's so important to bring you the top-notch interviews every week and that's why this show is back that's why it's existing. And we are starting off with a bang here. And it is a true pleasure for us to, uh, to be back in action. Uh, always appreciate hitting that subscribe button on iTunes. Uh, and, and give us a review. Share the podcast. We want to get this out. Uh, to as many people as possible, get as many people listening. Our website, Sports.com. You can tweet us at gasnsports on Twitter. That's where you can find uh, all of our content. Our website is all under the Great American Sports Network banner, Sports.com. And this is just another, uh, another endeavor for us. Actually, you talk about all the big games coming up this weekend. You've got Louisville, Alabama, which we're going to talk to Tim Brando about. You've got LSU against Miami. You've got Washington-Auburn, but... That's not where I'm going to find myself on Saturday. I, due to uh, business-related purposes, is going to be attending the big-time, everybody talking about Vanderbilt and Middle Tennessee game, Saturday night in Nashville. Yes, hey, Nashville's a great city. I'm out doing a documentary. So while, while I'm filming this documentary all over the SEC, 14 different locations, it's going to be insane. My travels are going to be as crazy as they've ever been. We're going to be, uh, my partner Noah Groninger and I, are going to be all over the South, starting off with Vanderbilt and Middle Tennessee. That's how we're starting the season. And then we'll be at College Station for Texas a and and Clemson uh, just the week after that. So things are going to pick up for us in a hurry. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, this podcast, we are going to get out there every week. I'm going to be launching on Thursday, certainly for the most part, as we see fit. I'll tell you what, it is our pleasure to welcome Fox Sports Tim Brando back to GASN Sports, back to the Elite Sports Podcast. Tim, how's everything going? I know. Football season starting, the talk is over, it's finally here, it's time to, I guess, drift away from the golf course a little bit and get to some football stadiums. (laughs) How does that make you feel?
0: It makes me feel good, Uh, and I am ready to get out and call some games. Um, I do enjoy my time away. Uh, As I've gotten older, I've really learned to enjoy the downtime, especially now with uh, a couple of uh, grandbabies, Uh, one that just turned two and another one that just turned one, so Time at home is, um, is a, of greater value as we get wisdom and uh, apply the just for men uh, to our, our brows as we get older. Uh, but, but getting back out there and doing what I love um, and have such great passion for, which, which certainly is the case with college football and college hoops, is a great thing. And It's time for me to hit the ground uh, and, and get in the air, which I'll do in the morning. Uh, and head for Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll start it up with uh, Big Red and Scott Frost's first game as head coach. So that's going to be the 362nd consecutive sellout. And uh, Spencer Tillman, Holly Saunders, and I'll have that in prime time on Fox uh Saturday
1: night. Well you you, you covered all covered all our spots there Tim. I was going to talk about this game on Fox against the Akron Zips. We're inst- we we probably shouldn't analyze it, a lot of Xs and Os of, of this game coming up here with Nebraska. I think there's a far bigger uh you know, a bigger picture going on here and, and you talked about Scott Frost's first game here as the coach of the Huskers and uh, just the other day it was uh, you know noted that Adrian Martinez has been named starting quarterback true freshman for the first time in the history of Nebraska football. What are realistic expectations for the this Nebraska team and, and Scott Frost's first campaign and then on into the into the future here as Nebraska tries to lay claim to their spot in the Big Ten West?
0: Well, you touched on uh, the most important aspect that not only the, the first time that a, a, a true freshman's done this, but w- what he has behind him is nothing but true freshman as well because uh, Tristan Jebbia decided to do what's become so popular among quarterbacks vying for the position that don't get it Withdraw from school and transfer, which I think leaves, uh, you know, Frost very few options Uh, from an offensive standpoint in this game. I think it can have an indelible impact on the way uh, Frost attacked uh, this, this defense from Akron, which returns nine starters and, you know, won their division in the MAC last year. Now, uh, listen, let's not be confused. They're still a prohibitive underdog, Akron, but they are a veteran team. And, and they have some confidence about them. And I don't need to remind people, I don't think, uh, that a lot of times celebrated high-profile coaches uh, go into their first games and everyone's stoked. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, everybody forgets that there's another team out there. And they, too, have been planning on... Remember what happened to Tom Herman and his opener against Maryland yep. last year? Yep. We had 50 hung on him. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's going to happen here, but I will tell you that when you've got a freshman quarterback, no matter how talented he is, that Martinez is exceedingly gifted. uh, But when you don't have any options behind him that have taken any snaps whatsoever, and that's the position they find themselves in on that depth strike. When we get into Lincoln tomorrow and meet with with Scott and his staff, that's going to be the primary conversation piece. For us, you know, how, how are you going to handle uh, the game plan here with regard to a quarterback that's a dual threat? I mean, this is one of the top 10 dual threat quarterbacks in the nation, but he was out his senior year uh, of high school because of injury and, you know, had to get well before he got here in this in this, this position. So I, I've got to believe there's got to be an air of caution uh, and maybe even uh, dialing back to some extent how open they thought they might be with regard to allowing him running the football but we'll see but that's a big big aspect of this game particularly with a defense like the one uh, terry bowden has as i mentioned they've got good linebackers really good secondary people they got a couple of guys that'll be playing in the pros next year on, on the, in that secondary so uh that that's a big big um uh, factor in this game and something that we'll be dealing with from the outset when we go on the air Saturday night. Well,
1: can't wait to, to watch that broadcast. You and Spencer Tillman, absolutely the best broadcasting team uh, in the business. Cannot wait for that. It's going to be interesting to see where things go with Nebraska. We have some huge games this opening weekend. We've got a team you're very high on in Washington taking on Auburn, West Virginia, Tennessee. But I think a lot of people are focused on uh, Louisville, Alabama. When you have uh, players from Louisville and even Bobby Petrino himself Saying that, making that uh, ever crucial guarantee that they're going to knock off the defending national champions, if this looks to me like an uh, an Alabama team that c- this could be one of the best offenses they've had there. This looks to me like one of those thirty to seven, ho hum, Alabama goes in and takes care of business type of games. What says you, Tim Brando? Well,
0: n- not that I uh, practice situational ethics, okay, in television, <laughs> but if our game is on opposite it's on ABC. I'll, 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 I'll tell you, I have a hunch that our game will be closer at halftime than their game. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. but the, tr- you know, the real truth is, is, Bobby, if he had Lamar Jackson, and we opened our season last year with Louisville against Purdue up in Indi- Indianapolis, um, and that was a fun game to watch. Jeff Brom's team was really stoked about playing against Lamar Jackson, and it uh, was really close. Uh, a couple of turnovers late. That uh, you know, Purdue has the ball chance to win it late through a pick and got into the game. But uh, if they were playing Alabama with Lamar Jackson and Alabama's defense is in the position it is in this year, that would be a dangerous game. But but Lamar Jackson's a Baltimore Raven now; he's not a Louisville Cardinal, and I think that's the problem. Um, listen, Bobby Petrino has gone up against Nick Saban a lot. He knows what to expect. I don't doubt that there will be some opportunities for Louisville to hit some big plays. But, you know, you make a mistake with a young quarterback against Satan's team, and they make you pay. They make you pay dearly. And I don't know that Louisville's defense can stay up with what Alabama's got, both in their running game and if, um, if Tua is a quarterback and they're opening that baby up, I don't see any way Louisville holds Alabama, say, under 35. So I, I I expect Alabama to roll. I don't I don't think um, the locker room jargon is that big of a deal. Uh, I, I just think that's almost way of getting themselves excited to play the game to say, hey, we're legit. You know that program's not that far removed uh, from being really in the in the heat of the battle. You yeah. know they they put Clemson a couple of years back, you know to the hills and had a chance to be on the national stage and. I think maybe they're carrying a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as a result, but uh, listen, Alabama is by far and away the superior team here, and I expect that to be a
1: cakewalk. Well, you, um, as we look at the SEC East, you're really high on the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, you released uh, your, your top ten uh, via Instagram not that long ago, and uh, you've got uh, the Georgia Bulldogs right there uh, on the fringe of that, being back in the college football playoff, obviously. What they return, uh, they lose a lot of players, lose a lot of great players, but you must like what uh, Kirby Smart is doing recruiting-wise. Uh, in the SEC East, you've got new coaches at Florida, new coaches at Tennessee. Um, we talked last year a lot about about Missouri. You warned us that Purdue was going to be a tough out, and boy were they ever for the Missouri Tigers. Yeah. Drew Locke comes back though, a Heisman candidate. What where do, where do you see? The SEC is this just Georges for the foreseeable future? Is there someone else that can come back in that division?
0: Well, they've created separation in terms of the personnel that that they've been able to recruit in the last couple of years. And, Whenever you do that, I think it gives you a a highly competitive advantage. Now, uh, their schedule is not much better, really, than Alabama's when it comes to non-conference competition. Um, I mean, it's not. Now, they do have to go on the road to play LSU midseason, and they have to play South Carolina uh, real quick. And I think that South Carolina game is one you can circle in Columbia because – uh, the Gamecocks, I think a lot of people believe, at least their first 22, they don't necessarily have the depth, but they're starting 11 on both sides, offensively and defensively, can pretty much play with anybody, uh, including maybe Georgia and Alabama, early. But they, they'll, they'll get hurt by depth issues once the attrition begins with injuries during the course of the season. But, you know, I, I do believe this is a rich, getting richer sport right now. It concerns me. Because um, if I'm able to tell you in July three of the four teams that are going to get into the college football playoff every year, I don't think that's a very good thing. Yeah, uh, I don't think it helps the sport. I think seeing Chapter 4 in of Clemson an and Alabama in the playoff is of great interest to maybe their fan bases, but not to the growth of uh, college football. Uh, I think we do need to get to six teams. and I think one of the things will help get us to six or maybe eight teams for the playoff is uh, a little redundancy with multiple teams, maybe even the same teams from the same conference getting in. And uh, Georgia to me could drop a game early. They could. they could even possibly lose uh, the South Carolina game uh, and then and then run the table beyond that and win uh, the conference championship. But if they do that, you know I, I really believe there's a chance that Alabama and Georgia could meet again in the SEC title game with Georgia possibly winning that game and Alabama still getting in uh, and the reason I say that is because no team gets greater benefit of the doubt from the committee than Alabama no team falls fewer spots in either poll than Alabama uh, and even last year when they lost the Auburn game they fell to wear fifth and they were poised to get right back in given the fact that Georgia had to play Auburn in a rematch uh, this the following week so Uh, I I see that. I see that potential being there. Now, I can make the same case for a Big Ten team, too. We might have a situation similar to one we had a few years ago where Ohio State went in over the conference champion Penn State. Um, But the possibility of two teams from either the SEC or the Big Ten getting in does exist. I think the greater chance is in the SEC because Alabama is privileged to the committee. A committee is not using strength of schedule criteria. It's not using computer metrics. And it basically is allowing the test to rule the day. And Alabama's going to win every test with every old coach and every administrator. Um, it's just, that's part of it. That's the way it is. And I think that the brand names are always getting benefit of the doubt in this current system. And that's why we've got to get this thing up to 16 16s immediately, and hopefully to 8 soon after
1: that. I love the idea. I've been championing that myself. On to what I believe is possibly the the best division in college football, and that's the Big Ten East. And I know that you're going to see a lot of these teams throughout the year. Um, You've got Shea Patterson coming in to quarterback a Michigan team that just starved for quarterback play a year ago, losing four games. Uh, you've got Penn State. You love Penn State. You've got them third in the country uh, in a team that you have making the college football playoff. They've just been a solid incumbent under James Franklin. And then you've got Ohio State, sharded in mystery and in controversy right now, but you know that that program is going to be right there. And, of course, you've got Wisconsin always there as well. Where do you see this division going, and uh, do you believe that it is the, the best division in football going into this year? You
0: know, it is, and I think a little bit like the SEC East which uh, I, I think uh, we didn't really touch on this. I think mean, Georgia has uh, separated themselves. But, you know, don't sleep on the Missouris and the South Carolinas of the world. They, they really are improved. Uh, if Tennessee gets it back together this time with this new coach, then maybe the, the East can swing back in the direction it was back in the late 90s and the early 2000s during the BCS era when Florida and Tennessee were... A cut above. But those teams are getting better. In the Big Ten West, Wisconsin is, listen, there's no denying Wisconsin is well, a shoe in to win that division. But uh, you look around and you see what Jeff Brown is doing at Purdue. I can't wait to watch that Northwestern game uh, tomorrow night with Purdue. Because, you know, I think Purdue is really tough to beat, particularly at home. And, you know, they're not going to win nine at 10 games, but they can win eight and they could surprise somebody. And fact, Fitzgerald's team with fortunately the quarterback, they, they could go 10-2. and two. I mean, no one's talking about Northwestern uh, being a 10-win team, but the potential is there for them to get there. But that's a tough opener for both of those programs to play a conference game to open. And they're all trying to really chase down Wisconsin uh, on that side of, of the Big Ten conference. Well, the Badgers have tough road games this year. And one of the reasons I really like Penn State uh, to win the big game this year is because that, that murderer's role that you have to play, if you got most of those games at home, as Wisconsin did last year, it will really serve you well. Uh, I think the same is true for Penn State this year. They've got Michigan State, Ohio State, uh, and Wisconsin, all kind of them. Their only road game of uh, the, the magnitude in the league is that Michigan. Now, Now, Michigan certainly could be that team that emerges uh, this year because of Shea Patterson. Uh, and if they beat Notre Dame, look out. They're going to jettison, you know, into the top six, top seven, somewhere there. And, you know, I think Shea can be a real difference maker for Jim Harbaugh, especially with a top-five defense. Don Brown, the defensive coordinator there, is one of as best, if not the best, in the country. And uh, I got a good look at the Wolverines last year, and if they had had any passing attack whatsoever, uh, their record would have been far different. So I I think that's the stuff out for Penn State is going to Michigan. Uh, and the chance is there. I mean, it really is, is a very good chance that Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Michigan State could all just cannibalize, you know. yeah. And we could be looking at a situation where a one or, or 2 off team uh, could potential, uh, potentially come out of there with the title, but what does that do to the committee if the champion of the Big Ten has two losses and there's a team in the league that's got one? You know, we could be staring at another one of those circumstances uh, at the end of the year. But I, I'm going with the Nittlin' Lions because I love what Franklin has done. Athletically, I think they've recruited so well. gifted. I think they're the team most like Ohio State, but not Ohio State. All right, I, yeah. Wisconsin's really well coached. They don't have any real big-ticket, big playmakers. Uh, Michigan State really well-coached. Lewerke's a good quarterback, but I don't know how much help he's really got in real skilled position areas. Uh, I think Iowa is a heavily uh, well-coached, strong defensive team that always beats top-ten teams at home, but they're susceptible when they go on the road. The team that's got the moxie and the talent, pound for pound, to go toe-to-toe with Ohio State year in and year out right now at Penn State. And I think there's a bevy of bats to replace Saquon Barkley. And McSorley is really good, and a kid backing him up is a four-year player. That's pretty good. So uh, I think they've got quality depth at every position and can win the thing and represent the Big Ten in the uh, college football playoff.
1: Well, gonna be so excited to see how that plays out. And uh, you got me ready for football already. I'm like, I'm looking down the schedule. I'm like, oh, I gotta mark that one down. I mean, there's so many great games, even off the off the bat here. Before we let you go, Tim, we've got to ask you about a team I know you uh, know a lot about. That's the LSU Tigers, Uh, probably in the headlines for the wrong reasons here in the last few weeks, losing not one but two quarterbacks to transfer. Um, We talked to you right when Ed Orgeron was uh, became the interim coach a couple years ago. Where are you with this program right now? Where, do, I mean, this is uh, seems to me do or die time for Ed Ogeron. Uh, need to compete at the upper level at the uh, in the SEC West. Can they do it? And what are they going to do with this quarterback situation?
0: Well, I think Joe Burrow it was with the moment he announced uh, the, the players. In question you knew uh, the two that were going to leave. They knew they had to get out. Now Miles Brennan was a strong competitor for the job. I applaud him for staying, and I think. You know the right two quarterbacks stay, You know for Orgeron and for Steve Insmayer, the offensive coordinator, uh, who who Ed, by the way, is very close with. And I think uh, you know I, one of the things that really bothers me is uh, the pundits out there that don't know enough about Steve they that want to say, well, you know, he's been coaching tight ends. He's really not that dynamic. You let a guy like Matt Canada go. You knew what you were hiring when you got it. I, listen, there's a comfort zone any head coach needs to have with his, his OC, and Orgeron did not have that with Canada, and they're going to go back to what they really wanted to recruit to, which is power downhill football and play-action pass, utilizing the tight end, and getting back coming out of the backfield running wheel routes and getting them out on the edge, which is, which is really what they want to do out of play-action, so I think the comfort zone for what they want to accomplish with, a, with an accurate quarterback, which is something they really haven't had since Zach Mettenberger yeah. uh, came in, the transfer from Georgia about four or five years ago, they haven't had that. Uh, and this kid is that. Burrow is extraordinarily accurate, and that's what they need. And trust me when I tell you the defense, you mentioned who's left. Getting Christian Fulton back at the quarterback spot who's going to be a number one pick. Huge! That ruling that just came down allowing for his eligibility, they were going to keep him out. NCAA was pretty strong on it, and the attorney came back. I think uh, his name is Maurice Buxton. I believe is his name. Did a hell of a job to get that get eligible, so he didn't miss two years, and he'll be a pro. And they're going to be strong at both corners. And I think Miami is susceptible to turnovers. They certainly were at the end of last season. If LSU can win that game, I think the potential for them to win nine games there. Yeah, they're not going to beat they're not going to beat Auburn at Auburn, but beating Miami, you know, a top fifteen team, will give uh, the quality of life for Ed Orgeron, I think, a little bit of a break. They can take a deep breath and start thinking about what their goals are for the season if they win that game. If they lose the game with Miami, then you're staring at you know, a home win and then a game at Auburn where you're likely to be one and two. And then you look out there and you see, you know, Georgia coming to town. You got to go to Gainesville again. You got Alabama on the road. I mean, it's one after another after another. So I think it's important for them to win that game, and have the kind of season that they want. But he's recruited really well. I think their 2019 recruiting class is in the top five. So this notion that, um, that it's over for O and if AD is going to be gone with him if they don't win more than eight games. I think that's, I think that's way out of line. I think it's wrong. I don't think that LSU wants to pay a $12 million buyout to Orgeron while they're still paying off the Mad Hatter. So <laughs> I, I think that the potential of Ed Orgeron, uh, A, having a better season than people think, and B, holding on to his job is quite good.
1: Well, Tim, I'll tell you what—we uh, can't thank you enough. I know this thing's getting ready to get underway. We'll be definitely be watching um, on Saturday night on Fox, as you have the Nebraska Cornhuskers and Akron Zips. We're going to stay away from ABC uh, just for you, my friend, because—and I hope you can work in at least one more round of golf. You've got the sweetest left-hand swing uh, that I've that I've seen in a while, man. I, I've got—I got to emulate that.
0: I would love to have you come over and play in the Trace. We'd love to
1: have you, Tim. I'll tell you what you're—you've been so, th- you know, so generous with your time, and we—we we love having you on. You're our, just our favorite guest. We'll catch up with you as we uh, our journey starts here as well. Down the road, we'll be all over the place, almost as many places as you this year. As we hit the SEC for for another documentary, we will hit you up when we're down that way, my friend. And take care, and have a great call on Saturday night.
0: Thank you very much. Good being
1: with you. You bet. Thanks a lot. That is Fox Sports. Tim Brando, the best in the business. He and Spencer Tillman is my it's my favorite broadcasting team. You know, a lot of people remember Tim from his time at CBS, where he was there for for quite a while. And um, you know, a lot of people miss that. I think his voice is synonymous. It is perfect for the SEC. Obviously, he's a he's an LSU guy. He knows that program front and back, but he he knows the SEC uh, as well as anyone. But now, you know, doing a lot of Big Ten games, doing a lot of Big Twelve games for Fox. That's wonderful. We'll definitely be checking him out as he takes uh, on the Nebraska Akron game. And he thinks, you know, he kind of disagreed with me. He said, "Hey, Akron's got some players, man. This could be a this could be a, a close game uh, in Lincoln." We'll see. I don't see that happening. I think Scott Frost is going to have this team ready to play. But we talked about a lot of the other games, and he kind of uh, laughed off the idea of Louisville pulling that upset in Alabama, just as I did. So what are we going to know after week one? Um, I don't know. I think that you're going to look at the SEC in particular and see, hey, how did Auburn fare against Washington? How did Tennessee fare against West Virginia? Did Alabama look dominant against Louisville? Those are some games that stand out. Um, and uh, after week one, will the SEC you know, be – differentiating itself and right there with the big 10 is it going to be neck and neck obviously you had two sec teams play for the national championship last year uh the east was certainly georgia and kind of everyone else uh and, and in the west it was uh you know an alabama auburn situation and we'll see where that goes uh as time progresses this season but we want to go ahead and welcome our second guest he is Dave Matter from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We're talking about his book, 100 Things Missouri Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Dave, welcome to the show. How's everything going, man?
0: It's going great. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Uh, of course, man. I'll tell you what, this book, uh, this this is this is an interesting read because not only do you delve into some of the wonderful fan favorites and memories in, in Missouri lore from Chase Daniel, John uh, John, uh, John Sunbold, uh, Damari Carroll, so many more, but... Th- you of course have to delve into some of the the heartbreaks and tragedies that have happened at the university of missouri well as well dave talk about just kind of your idea how this book came about and what you kind of wanted to present with this thing
2: well it's it's, you know the book itself is a series there's there's a lot of different versions of of this concept for uh you know major league baseball teams the nfl teams there's a lot of college teams that have um, the the triumph books our publisher has, has been able to do. And uh, you know they they came to me with the idea of doing a new version for essentially football and basketball stories, Ben's basketball stories. And the great thing about this project is they they left it up to me to decide what the content would be for those one hundred chapters. So um, I spent a lot of time before I ever even you know did an interview or wrote a wrote a word just deciding what are the 100 best stories, the, the things you have to cover, the things that maybe haven't been covered a lot, um, but the things that are essentially have to be told about the history of those two programs and you know the university as a whole, just in regards to athletics. Uh, and, and you can't tell the story of Mizzou sports without touching on some of those infamous games and moments that you know so many people endured and, and, and still talk about uh, you know, to this day, whether it's the fifth down or if it's Tyus Edney or, uh, you know, more recently the uh, Norfolk State game, which I touched on, you know, the, the kick and catch game against uh, Nebraska back in 1997. So, um, you know, the, the book doesn't focus on, on those things, but, but you can't tell the story of Mizzou football, Mizzou men's basketball without, without touching on the, on some of those moments.
1: Well, you have a tremendous forward in this book written by Brock Olivo, one of my favorite Tigers of all time. Talk about what it was like getting Brock uh, to do this, what kind of person he is, because we've had him on this show before, and it's just funny reading that. That forward reminded me of a lot of the things he said in the interview we did with him about how proud he is to be a Tiger. Talk about him and, and what he meant to to Mizzou back in the, the, the mid-90s and what it was like getting him to write that forward.
2: Um, Brock is awesome, and he, he poured his heart into that forward. I, I contend it's the best chapter of the book. I, I couldn't have been more pleased. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew he would, he would really put his heart into it. I, I was overjoyed when I read it for the first time because it, he, he put so much work into it. He was a guy that just jumped out to me right away, Somebody that I thought could kind of capture the passion of Missouri fans because he was a, a diehard Missouri fan before he became a, a player at, at Missouri back in uh, in the mid-90s. So, you know, I reached out to him. I've Brock for a long time. Um, he, he jumped at the chance to do it. He, he was ecstatic. Uh, and he actually wrote this. It's been a couple of years now. He did this book took a while to get published. Uh was on hold for a little bit while I did the, the Gary Pinkle book last year with the same publishing company. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, it was great. Every time I've, I've read it a few times since when when I got the hard, the, uh, hard copy, in the mail a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and read it again. My wife read it, and she, uh, she just couldn't believe how how much passion there is and and what he put into it. So I'm I'm I was just uh, really really impressed with with you know his contribution to it.
1: Uh, one of the things about this book, of course, he, uh, and Brock touches on it in the foreword, is the uh, the 97 game against Nebraska. Every Missouri fan knows where they, where, where they were during that game. Uh, I was in eighth grade watching and, and, and crying by my television set in, in Kansas City. You, Dave, on the other hand, uh, were at the game. You were a journalism student at Missouri at the time. Talk about that game and, in particular, you know, being a young journalism student, sitting in there watching that game and kind of what influence it had on you um, You know, as a, as a fan and uh, later on, as a journalist, because there's really, it's one of the great games in college football history and uh, such a pivotal game in Missouri history, although it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, certainly.
2: Yeah, you know, I was I was a student, I, was, I guess I was a sophomore at Missouri, I wasn't yet in the journalism school, I wasn't yet working at the Columbia Daily Tribune, which I was the following fall, so it really was my last football season, not covering the team in some kind of capacity. Uh, so I was at the game in the student section with my friends, and, um, yeah, I think I even remember at the time sort of getting the sense that, okay, we're, we're witnessing history here. Either it's going to be, you know, the greatest win Missouri fans have seen in ages and in a generation, or it's going to be this, uh, this awful, heartbreaking scene. And, and even when you think back, you know, perspective of things different from the, the guys that were playing that night, it, it, it was a loss. But I think it is one of those games also that kind of put Missouri on the map. I, I believe that Missouri was unranked going into the game, and I think they squeaked into one of the top 25 polls the next week, even though they lost at like number 25, which is unheard of. I mean, I voted for those polls over the years, and, and that never happens, but that Missouri team did play a great game. It was a, obviously a, an incredible Nebraska team. Uh, I think they, even though it was a loss, I think the program you know, gained a lot of confidence from that. And uh, man, it, it was it was great writing the chapter about that game, talking to guys like Brock O'Leary, like Corby Jones, um, Craig Heimberger, who all played in that game, and still to this day, uh, that it still really resonates with them. I mean, it, they don't like they like talking about it because it gets them emotional and it gets them um, you know fired up again. But they still are are stung. They're still haunted by the way that thing ended.
1: As you look back on this, you did a lot of interviews. You did, you talked to a lot of people. There's a lot of perspectives from so many legends and and Mizzou lore. You know, from uh, someone like. Norm Stewart uh, Gary Pinkle who's the all-time winningest coach at Missouri uh, John Sunvold Chase Daniel we talked you know a lot about the 07 teams the 13 teams is there any personalities people that you talk to that maybe aren't on the surface that stood out to you some people that you talked to I, for instance I thought TJ Mo's chapter on the 2010 Oklahoma game was tremendous to hear about that whole weekend and day from a player's perspective is there some people that you talked to that maybe you know are under the radar a little bit that really stood out to you and thought added a lot to this project?
2: Yeah, there were there were a handful. Um, you know, I I always like offensive linemen because they just bring such a, a unique perspective to the game. Uh Craig Heimberger was a, a great example. He had a great offensive lineman, a guard on those on those uh, Missouri teams in the nineties. And uh, I, I always enjoyed talking to him. I, I enjoyed covering him at the time when I was a, a student and, and he was a um, junior, senior. Um, so that that was great to talk to him. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, he doesn't work at Missouri anymore. I spent a lot of time with Gary Lake um, for multiple chapters on this book because his sense of history, his passion for Mizzou, um, you know, at the time when I was doing this project was unlike anybody else. And he, he was, you know, highly involved in a lot of things that happened either as a player, um, or then when he worked in the athletic department when, when uh he was really helpful, had a great perspective on talking about, you know, Quentin Snyder's rise and fall at at Missouri there because he was working very closely in the athletic department with the basketball program. So um he he was great to talk to. Uh that he's just one that really jumps out. Um I, I even did a whole chapter on him just because I thought the role that he played at Mizzou
1: for such a long time, um, you know, was was really an important one. Well, this book comes out, Dave, uh, on September fourth uh, from Triumph Books. Uh, a tremendous read, a must-read for for any Mizzou fan. When you kind of remove yourself from this, I know you 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 went to Mizzou, you cover Mizzou for the St. Louis Post Dispatch. You you know you're immersed in the University of Missouri as much as anyone. But if there's a way to kind of remove yourself and and look at Missouri when you write a book like this, does it kind of confirm you and and maybe some other suspicions of my goodness, Missouri? They just have all you know these the highest of highs. They experience the lowest of lows. Do, do you, Feel like that this happens more at Missouri versus other places, or when you kind of remove yourself, is it like okay, good things happen here at Missouri and bad things, and it kind of happens everywhere across the board, or is it, or do you really look at it, and say, my goodness, Mizzou's had its had its fair share of, of, of really unbelievable situations?
2: I think it happens everywhere. I don't know if the if the the moments at Missouri that resonate the most with people, I don't think any other school that I can think off the top of my head has has. Moments that big and and that that were against teams that went on to win national championships, whether it's Nebraska '97 or Colorado '1990 or you know Tyus Edney in UCLA. Um, I, I think that's what makes Missouri's situation and its history unique. You know, I, I don't buy into the talk about the North End Zone being cursed or anything silly like that. But those are moments that you can't ignore, and I, I think it kind of lives in the. In the DNA of the Missouri fan, who's a who's been paying attention since those things happened, um, and and it's you know again, I don't think it's that unique because uh, I think a lot of fan bases have those moments, but Missouri's moments just seem to be of these epic historical proportions that um, you can ask anybody who's really a college football fan that maybe doesn't know a about much about Missouri if you ask them a Sit Down game with the flea kicker, and they know exactly what you're talking about. So I think Missouri's just kind of in its own company when it comes to just the context behind and surrounding some of those moments.
1: Well, we got to get into this year's team as football season kicks off here on Saturday, 3 o'clock against the Skyhawks of Tennessee Martin from Missouri. You have a tremendous article, I believe it just came out yesterday, talking about Drew Locke's journey and how embattled he was as a true freshman starter onto setting – SEC records last season and now here he is with a, a new offensive coordinator Derek Dooley a, a guy you wrote a great article about earlier in the summer as well kind of tying these two stories together talk about how important this season is for Barry Odom from Missouri Derek Dooley in this offense which should be prolific but you know you know, there's a lot of you know still in intrigue and, and mystery behind that with Derek Dooley never having been an offensive coordinator before just talk about this season in general and and how big it is for coach Odom and, and, and this program.
2: Well, it's really big. Uh, you know, I, I think whenever you have a player like Drew Locke who comes back, could have gone to the NFL, a guy with that kind of talent, which still has a lot to prove in his mind, and I think everyone who's followed this team, um, I think you have to capitalize on that. I don't think you can take steps backward because you don't know what the future is going to look like at that position, the most important position on the field in the, in the sport. So um, I think they've got to be better. I think they've got a chance to be better uh, because of what they bring back. On both sides of the ball, but especially offense. I mean, Missouri might have to get into some shootouts if this defense isn't much improved. But, you know, if I'm the offensive coordinator of this team, I'll I take my chances in a shootout when you have returning talent, uh, you know, at running back, at tight end, at receiver, and all that experience on the offensive line, not to mention, you know, a guy throwing the ball like, like Drew Locke. So there, I don't think there's any excuse for this team not to be really good offensively. I think it's just a matter of how good do they have to be to overcome. The defense. If, if the defense is top half in the SEC, then I think they can have a, a special season. Now, top half in the SEC usually means top twenty-five nationally, and that, that's hard to do. Uh, they haven't been close to that the last couple of years. Um, but this is supposed to be Barrios' specialty. So if he's got his staff in place like he wants it, I think he does. Um, you know, they they have an opportunity to, to be much better on that side of the ball. But but we'll see. I and mean, they they were so up and down last year; they struggled. Defensively, the first month of the year finally made some strides against you know some teams that weren't very good offensively. Uh, I thought their defense played better in the bowl game than they probably got credit for, um, but they've got to do it all over again, and we'll, we'll see. Um, it, it it could be in situations where they've got to win games forty eight to forty five, and uh, that's that's rough on any coach, but. They've got the offense to
1: be able to do that, at least. And as long as they don't run into a punter like Texas is uh, down the road, that would be beneficial as well. I've never seen a punting sure. performance like that in the Texas Bowl. But, uh, Dave, I always like to look uh, kind of beyond and look at the bigger picture when it comes to Mizzou. And as I don't know if there's been in any recent years a time where I've had a harder time getting my finger on the pulse of, of kind of the where the fans are excitement-wise, expectation-wise. I know you talk to a lot of people and, and around the program um, as much as anyone. Can you get a finger, your finger on the pulse of what where the fans are excitement wise? I know you're taking away, um, you know, nine thousand seats right now to do a, a South End Zone renovation. Um, I'm not quite sure where season tickets are right now, but where, what is your thoughts on where this? And how, that's another reason why I think this is this season so important is because. It's it, you know attendance has been a little down. Of course, it has across college football. But what do you what do you get the sense of this program right now as far as the fans and expectations from from the fans right now?
2: Well, I think it's in kind of wait and see mode, and and that's I think that's unfortunate for Missouri because that's not really the norm in the SEC. I think a lot of fan bases are so rabid that they support their teams until they have reason not to. And I think in Missouri, it's kind of the opposite. You know, sometimes it's, it's more of a bandwagon fan base. There's always a cluster, a core that's going to be supportive regardless and buy season tickets. But there's that other fringe that um, will jump on if they know things are going to be good, um, and, and maybe not until they, they until they see some results. And it's hard financially to compete in this league when, um, when, when you have the struggles they've had selling tickets. I, I still think there's some reverberations from 2015 you know, on the field and off the field that has affected the fan base. Uh, I still think having a really good season, winning a lot of games would help them recover from that. Uh, the 7 and 6 apparently isn't enough to revive that fan base because you know, as of this summer season ticket sales were still down from their pace a year ago. And it's, it's tough to survive in this league financially, which means Hiring coaches and, and getting the best facilities and um, doing all the things that everybody else in this league does when when you've got empty seats in your stadium. So um, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's it, you know if if they start off really well, we'll see how that impacts sale ticket sales the rest of the year. If they struggle, um, and I think you'll see you'll see the opposite effect. So. Uh, that's that's the reality for Jim Stirk is right now with this athletics department. We've seen in basketball what can happen if you create a buzz, you hire a coach that brings some um, some excitement, and, and we've seen that in basketball. In football, there's there's a lot more numbers you're talking about because the stadium's obviously a lot bigger. and You got sell more tickets to fill that thing, um, but we we've, we've seen this program win at a high level and have sustained success under Gary Pinkle, and the fans you know bought in. Um, they kind of have to do that all over again now with the new regime in place.
1: Well, Barry Odom made a proclamation last year. He said, we're going to get this done. We're going to get this fixed. Uh, and, and for that season, he was correct. It did happen. Missouri reeled off six straight wins before falling in the bowl game. But uh, granted, those were over some programs that were, were down. Coaches were on the way to get fired or whatever. But you're still talking about Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, teams that had promise or were ranked or had good you know, prospects coming into the season. But as we go into this season, where do you see the where this program needs to be? Because, you know, Barry Odom's won. Uh, he's, he's got 11 wins here now as a head coach, won seven last year for his first year. But where for this thing to really take off and you see the, the talent, you could have two first-round picks on this team, perhaps even the number one overall pick if things go well for Drew Locke, Terry Beckner Jr. coming back on defense. I'll, if, if, if the question kind of becomes, if not a good season this year, if this isn't the year where Missouri beats some teams and really you know shakes things up and gets to the eight or nine win mark, when is it going to happen? When you lose Drew Locke next year and are kind of starting over, what what's this looking like for Barry Odom here? Because there could, this could go a lot of ways, couldn't it?
2: Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, if they if they don't make progress this year with with Locke back, with Beckner back, with a pretty decent senior class. Um, Then the natural expectation is they won't be as good in 2019. If they're not, if they're going the wrong direction, um, you know, that's, that's a hard sell to your fans right now who over the 2000s and, and beyond were accustomed to winning 10 games a year and, and competing for division championships. And that, that wouldn't be the case if this, if this program takes another step backwards this year. So I think you have to win this year. You have to win more than you did a year ago. So you can kind of buy some time next year because it's it's always going to be looked at as somewhat of a reloading rebuilding situation when you when you replace a four year starter quarterback um, so you know they can't get consumed with thoughts of next year that they've got to be able to, to make progress this year and and then you can um, you can think about 2019 but you know so much hinges on this year so much hinges on certain games i think the Purdue game itself is just so big because it, it, it falls right in line after two winnable home games and then you've got three really tough uh, SEC games after that two of them on the road so um, you yeah, know we'll we'll see what they do they, they, we know what the stakes are going ahead of them that's for sure.
1: Well they will sure be reading we always enjoy your stuff um, for the St. Louis Post dispatch just always great great stuff from you and this book 100 things Missouri fans. Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, that is available on September 4th. What's what's the best way to, to get this and to, to order it? Where, where should we send our listeners to to get this thing? Uh, I assume it'll be available on Amazon? Things like that?
2: Yes, you can order it directly from the publisher at triumphbooks.com or you can go through you know other popular booksellers like Amazon or Barnes & Noble um, around the state. Uh, Barnes & Noble bookstores will have it. Um, and uh, yeah, so it should be pretty readily available starting uh Tuesday,
1: September 4th well best of luck Dave it is a it is truly a great read you know going back uh, for me i uh, am uh, my, my mid 30s so getting ready, uh, you know able to relive so many wonderful you know memories growing up going to games and then going back and you learning the history of of guys and coaches and things that happened before uh before I was even born just a tremendous read we can't thank you enough for joining us Dave best of luck with the book and we'll talk again soon my man thanks so much great my pleasure appreciate it Huge thanks to Dave Matter for joining us, talking some Mizzou football. We're going to definitely lean heavily on that as they are the local team, the local SEC team here. So expect a lot of guests, a lot of uh, personalities uh, associated with the University of Missouri. But we cross the board. This season is going to be extra special. NFL, college football, the SEC, we're going to be doing it all right here on the Elite Sports Podcast. And we can't thank you enough for joining us on our inaugural episode. Obviously, we've rebranded the podcast. We've done a lot of different shows in the past. This one is one that I'm uh, extremely excited about. Would not have gone to the effort to... To do it, if I didn't think it could be one of the best sports podcasts out there, and I mean that, and, and I rely heavily, our guests are so important to us, and that's what we're going to be focusing on is uh, bringing in the expert analysis every week. We appreciate you guys joining us for our first week. We appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing, sharing all those things. We will catch you next week as the NFL opens its season. We will be delving into that much more next week, as well as college football week two and the biggest winners and losers from week one. I'm Clint Switzer. Thanks so much for joining us right here on the Elite Sports Podcast.